0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini.
1: And I am arts and culture writer Alicia Ramirez.
0: Welcome back. Uh, we didn't scare you off the first week. You uh, are coming back for more. You're glutton for punishment, I see.
1: I am. I'm happy I made it through my first week. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, as I, I mentioned on yesterday's show with Ashley, that you and Ashley are going to do a show together later this week. It'll be the first time in Today on Broadway History where we've had a show hosted by two women. We've had shows hosted by solo women uh, before, but never two women. I think, I don't think we've had one before because we've had other women involved, but I, I'm thinking that'll be the first time. So that's a, a very exciting milestone uh, for our little our little project.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be a part of that.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, of course, if you want to hear that historic, groundbreaking, revolutionized industry shaking up episode later this week, you can hear it first by going to patreon.com slash radio broadwayradio.com slash patreon. All right, let's jump into the news leading off with the 72nd Annual Emmy nominations, which were announced on Tuesday morning. The announcement was hosted by Leslie Jones with some help from Laverne Cox, Josh Gad, and Tatiana Maslany. And uh, the nominations went out with a hitch. And as my friend Annie, who is probably listening to this, said, uh, she texted me on Tuesday morning while they were going on. She said, imagine award nominations going smoothly and actually starting on time. Uh, And that brought back a lot of very bad uh, flashback memories to Tony nomination mornings when everybody on the Internet was saying their stream hadn't started. So uh, uh, we didn't have to experience that in 2020, unfortunately. uh, But I did not miss Uh, Those stresses, but it was nice to see a number of theater folks picking up nominations on Tuesday. First, let's run through the different series that got nominations before we get into the performer noms. The best drama series nominees, uh, nominees were Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, and Succession. The best comedy series nominees are Curb Your Enthusiasm, Dead to Me, The Good Place, Insecure, The Kaminsky Method, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Schitt's Creek, and What We Do in the Shadows. For limited series, the nominees are Little Fires Everywhere, Mrs. America, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, and Watchmen. Alicia, how much TV do you watch? Do you you watch any of these shows in particular?
1: Some of them, yes. I am a Disney Plus subscriber. Hulu, Netflix. So I'm pretty much in the loop of what's going on, and I am so excited um, because a bunch of theater folks got nominations, and for many of them, it was their first time getting a nomination. So, especially during this time, it's not necessarily about recognition. I think it's about getting some motivation to keep going, to keep making art.
0: Yeah. All right, let's move on to performance categories. And again, I'm just going to uh, hit some of the theater performers in these categories. But for lead actor in a drama series, we have Brian Cox for Succession, Billy Porter uh, for Pose. Lead actress in a drama series, we have Olivia Coleman for The Crown, uh, Laura Linney for Ozark, and I'm going to throw in Zendaya for Euphoria. She's not really a theater person, but she did a Disney musical type thing. So she's, I think she's mm-hmm. theater adjacent. Um, then we have. Yeah, those
1: are those are one of the nominees that you are pleasantly surprised. You might've not seen her on stage, but it's someone. ho? yeah. they could make a good contribution later on. It, it shows the versatility.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, one, I'm a, you might not know this, Lisa, but I am a huge uh, comic book movie fan. So I love Zendaya from Spider-Man, but she is just, um, she's done a bunch of really cool, interesting stuff. And I haven't seen Euphoria. Um, it's not, that's not usually my speed, but, um, I've really been impressed with her and everything I've seen. So, uh, i I was excited to see her in with a, just a killer, uh, group of actresses in the lead actress in a drama series. But yeah.
1: You, you'll enjoy Euphoria.
0: It's not, teen angsty things are not usually my cup of tea, but uh, I'll, uh, maybe I'll check it. I th- I think Jeremy O'Harris actually is a writer for that show. So maybe it's worth checking it out for that. But anyway, let's move on to lead actress in a comedy series. Christina Applegate for Dead to Me. Rachel Brosnahan for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, two good theater folks there. Lead actor in a limited series or movie. Jeremy Irons for Watchmen. Hugh Jackman for Bad Education. Jeremy Pope for Hollywood following up a, a pair of Tony nominations for 2019. Uh, Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True. Then getting into lead actress in a limited series or movie, we have Kate Blanchett for Mrs. America, Carrie Washington for Little Fires Everywhere. Some other names I'll just run through really quickly with theater connections that received nominations uh, Billy Crudup, uh, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, Samara Wiley, um, Fiona Shaw. William Jackson Harper for The Good Place, um, Tony Shalhoub, Mahershala Ali, Betty Gilpin, and uh, Titus Burgess is in there as well, Holland Taylor, Uzo Aduba, Tony Collette, uh, really a ton of theater folks. Then we've also got in the character voiceover performance category, Leslie Odom Jr. was nominated for Central Park. Ingrid Michaelson was nominated in the original music and lyrics category for Little Fires Everywhere for a song she wrote from that. And
1: also, I wanted to add a first-time nominee that I was pleasantly surprised to see on this list, Jasmine
0: Safis-Jones. Yeah, she was nominated for a Quibi show, which is uh, fairly interesting. I didn't even know how Quibi was going to be involved in that, in these nominations. But there were a number of folks from Quibi shows that stuck out. Uh, It's always fun to see the theater folks. We talk about this every time there's uh, Emmys and Oscars stuff nominated or nominations come out. Like It's just funny that even if they're not folks that have been on stage or Broadway or off-Broadway in a long time, it's just really funny to see all the folks that have very, very firm roots in theater really being the, the cream that rises to the top, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's on TV or film. All right, let's move on to some other news. On Tuesday, the Evening Standard confirmed a rumor that had been making the rounds recently, and that is that producer Cameron McIntosh will be shutting down the original production of The Phantom of the Opera in London and its UK tour. The billionaire, with a B, producer and theater owner, said that last week he had to downsize his organization, and that unfortunately Phantom did not survive. He said, quote, Andrew, Lloyd Webber, And I have had to sadly permanently shut down our London and UK touring productions of the Phantom of the Opera, but are determined to bring it back to London in the future. Now, when we first started hearing about this type of stuff, Alicia, it was that Cam Mack was going to swap out the original staging for the tour staging in a cost-cutting measure, like he did with the West End Les Miserables. Now, it's not necessarily that... The sets were cheaper, although they were um, it 's more has to do with the fact of the royalties that have to be paid to in phantom 's case, the Hal Prince estate and in lay mez 's case to Trevor Nunn. Those deals were negotiated many many years ago, and cam wanted to get better deals on paying people less for uh, for their direction and design and all of that kind of stuff so it 's really uh, disappointing, but a few weeks ago when this was first out there. ALW said about the idea that he would do everything that he could to prevent it from happening, but apparently uh, that was a battle that he lost. Um, Alicia, I would not be surprised if Macintosh does the same thing with the Broadway production. I'd actually heard rumors before the shutdown even happened that they were actually thinking about taking a month-long break at Phantom. First, to refurbish the Majestic Theater and potentially to swap out the productions, bring the tour in there as well. Do you have any special fondness for Phantom or does this rub you the wrong way uh, in any particular reason?
1: I wouldn't say fondness, but it's always (laughs) sad to come across closing notices, regardless of your attachment to the show. Because you have to think of the people losing their jobs. And a notice like this one hits especially hard during a pandemic. And it makes you think think about the shows shut down on Broadway. When you think about it, this is twofold. Um, it's one of the longest running shows on Broadway. The
0: longest, I yeah. I believe
1: it's, it's the longest yeah. running show on Broadway. And also one of the most readily available shows in terms of ticket prices. And that's how you get a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have access to Broadway to see a Broadway show and potentially establish a connection with the arts. But for the second part, you have to think about how much can a legacy show like Phantom withstand not only in this pandemic, but you have to think about Phantom's place on Broadway when industry members and audience members are demanding more shows for, by, and about people of color. You have to do that exercise with the shows that we're currently running pre-pandemic shutdown and continue that exercise after shows have reopened. And you just have to think about what is the show place on Broadway
0: and it's really kind of confusing to me and this is synonymous to something that I've talked about with some of these announcements that have been happening in New York why he felt the need to make this announcement now um, as he actually goes on in the announcement to talk about how he wants the UK to do the same thing that I mentioned that Andrew Lloyd Webber wants them to do to make an announcement Mm -hmm. as to when theaters will be officially allowed to reopen with normal audience audience capacities that's not coming necessarily anytime soon so i don't know the 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 reason for having to make this announcement now especially when you don't really know what the timetable is you don't know what the world is going to look like when you're able to open again and that's why i've I, i just feel like this is such a cynical move this is not actually about the pandemic this is actually about him using it as a cover to save some money and to pad his coffers and especially when He's one of the richest people in theater and he has to downsize his bit. It just rubs me the wrong way. And I've said before, Phantom is my least favorite thing that I've ever seen. So I don't really care about the show itself, but I I agree with you that if this show isn't there, it's a gateway for a lot of folks, especially international people, which I think might be part of the reason why it might struggle in New York, because I don't think there's going to be as much international travel to New York, but in London, this is still a beloved cultural phenomenon, and uh, it just everything about it is a little icky to me. So, uh, yeah, that's par for the course with billionaires. But uh, anyway, yeah. let's let's move on to some other news. According to the stage, the National Theatre in London is actually currently exploring options to reopen its various venues with social distancing procedures in place. The theatre is exploring the idea of reconfiguring its spaces to allow audiences to attend in quote. Social bubbles. I'm not 100 percent sure what that means, but I'm I'm thinking that it means there'll be little pods where families can sit and then there's enough room around uh, around them so they don't have to be within, you know, six feet or whatever. But uh, in a statement, the organization said, quote, theater can and should be performed in this new world subject to support. We can continue to perform our functions while conforming to social distancing rules. Performing in this way would allow us to create work with both our specialist staff and our vital creative freelancers while serving as many of our audience members as we are able to safely. And this, I know nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to do socially distanced performances, especially in the fact that it might lose money because you just can't work to capacity. But I appreciate the National Theater willing to explore how to do this because, as they said, and as you mentioned uh, as well with the closing of any show, this is about getting people working and keeping people in the industry because we've heard so much about the potential of folks leaving the industry altogether because there's just no work left during the pandemic. All right. While the NT's future is up in the air yesterday, Play-Per-View announced this new slate of online Zoom shows. Um, uh, the next round will start on August 8th. It will feature a reunion from the 2007 Cherry Lane original production of Amiri Bakari's Dutchman, featuring Dulé Hill, Jennifer Mudge, and Chris Myers. Then a week later, it will be the 10th anniversary reunion reading of Christopher Diaz's The Elaborate Inheritance of Chad Deity, and they will also be launching a new Instagram Live series in which they will have 30-minute conversations with writers, directors, and performers. The first one will happen uh, this Friday. Uh, actually at 3 p.m. eastern time with Marin Ireland. So, uh Marin is one of James's favorites. So, uh definitely check that out. I've seen a number of of play preview things. I've got another one coming up this weekend, so I'm always excited with the stuff that they do. All right, next up, at the beginning of the shutdown, review aggregator site ShowScore announced that it would be taking a hiatus for however long shows were dark. As I can attest to, theater sites of all kinds are struggling to find, you know, just how to survive an entire year without performances. And yesterday, it looks like ShowScore is kind of going to survive, but not because it was reported by Broadway News that ShowScore had been acquired by TodayTix. According to the article, ShowScore will still retain its own branding and website while becoming integrated into the larger Ticks suite of products. TodayTix will seek to bring the review site and its community, which includes conversations and member events and user-generated reviews to all of the markets that today Tix is in around the country and the world. The integration of the two sites will begin in September, and no financial terms were revealed. Now, Alicia, this to me, I am glad that ShowScore is going to live on because it does have a loyal user base, and it's become a good tool for a lot of theater fans to kind of see what not necessarily what the th- the critics reviews are, but what some of their peers reviews are. But anytime there's this kind of uh, strategic acquisition in the tech field, it doesn't tend to bode super well for the company being acquired. Yahoo buying Tumblr or Twitter buying uh-huh. Vine, stuff like that. Like uh, I worry about Show Score surviving, and if it does survive, if it will maintain kind of the authenticity that it's had for a lot of users over the past five years.
1: Yeah, I agree. Me too. Um, one thing I, I'm looking forward to seeing is that ShowScore used to have a blog, and I know of people who used to write for ShowScore. Yeah, totally. And I know today TodayTix has its own vertical for articles, and it'll be really interesting to see how much of that aspect of show score gets brought into the today ticks brand as a whole, or if that's going to be can- canceled in its entirety.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great resource for people looking for reviews and information about shows, but it's also a great resource for, um, arts journalists to have, mm-hmm. uh, pieces published. So, uh, it's going to be a brand new world for yeah, everybody of
1: people starting out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I know folks that work there fairly full time uh, and other stuff working with their meet and greets and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see what show score looks like when shows actually return. All right, let's get into some recommendations. I have two, and this one's feel good because it's Audra McDonald related, but she also talks about some very serious things. It's an interview
1: interview yeah
0: it's really good isn't it i'll let you kind of explain what's in it then um uh, michael Schulman from uh the new yorker talked to the queen of all things theatrical audra mcdonald alicia what about this interview stood out to you
1: to me it was her admission that she doesn't love virtual performances but <laughs> then she goes to explain that they are vital at this point and that it's not about her and what she prefers. It's the bigger picture of keeping the arts alive and as an industry showing the resilience and the creativity behind what everybody can offer. And she's at the forefront of it, not only with her performance performances, excuse me, but with her activism and that is something that goes Back to pre-pandemic.
0: Yeah, I mean she is always one of, at the forefront of things that matter in our community and society as a whole. And uh, it's a great interview. I highly recommend you you reading it. Audra is one of the most intelligent people uh, in in the industry, and highly, highly recommend that. We of course will have a link in the show notes. Uh, and then finally, I have a little video. And actually, what's interesting about this video is that it comes from a recent concert. That was held outdoors in Delaware with the husband and wife team that are starring in the Frozen National Tour. Caroline Bowman and Austin Colby. Caroline is playing Alphaba uh, on the t- or not Alphaba. She's played Alphaba before, Elphaba. and she's singing. Yeah, uh, you'll see why I said Alphaba here in a minute. But she's playing Elsa on tour, and her husband uh, Austin Colby is playing Hans. They did this concert, and um, they did a mashup of the Sound of Music song um, Something Good. And the song from Wicked, there's the alphabet reference there, which uh, Caroline previously played. The song For Good, it's uh, uh, a really cool mashup, and it's nice to see as you know as we've kind of talked about some of these ways that theaters and and artists can keep working. It's cool to see ways that they are doing that with socially distanced outdoor concerts, and it's always nice when you have a <laughs> a married or cohabitating pair that are able to do things on stage together where you don't have to worry about. Uh, Uh, Infecting somebody who hasn't been quarantining with them. Exactly. All right. Which means, which, you know, brings up, I would not have any problem seeing an Otter McDonald Will Swenson concert outdoors somewhere this summer, because that would definitely be worth its weight in gold.
1: Yes. Send me up, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. That is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Alicia, where can people find you on social media?
1: People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Gar 31
0: Awesome. Everybody have a wonderful hump day. Ashley will actually be back with an interview tomorrow. She ha- is talking to the creators behind the Public Theater's online zoomed to show uh, the line and then Ashley and Alicia will have that historic groundbreaking record setting episode of Today on Broadway coming to your ear holes on Friday.